you may have heard the gospel before. You might have even told someone that story yourself. Whether you use the steps to peace with God or the bridge diagram, whatever method you use, there's something missing from all of them. And this video might just change the way you share the gospel from now on. My name is Stephen Cram, and this is My Apologies. An apology doesn't just mean saying that you're sorry. It can also mean giving a reason for something that you believe. For example, if I ask you why do you think that Tolkien is better than Lewis, I'm asking for an apology. On this channel, we will examine various apologies for living a life of faith and virtue. And if something I say offends you, my apologies. As our intro suggested, there's something missing from the gospel that you normally hear. If you haven't heard it before, it's basically the story that in the beginning, God created us to have perfect union with him. But sin broke that union and broke our relationship with God. Nothing that we could do repaired that relationship, no matter what we tried. And so he sent his son, Jesus, to repair the relationship. He lived a perfect life as a human, died on the cross, and rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. So now, if we choose to follow him, we can have restored relationship with God and eternal life. But what's missing from that? Something important, something I think we forget often. That's what we're going to learn about today, starting with learning about a little thing called dualism, which is what C.S. Lewis talks about in Mere Christianity, Book 2, Chapter 2. So what is dualism? It's a good place to start. Well, it's contrasted with monism. Monism means that there is basically one fundamental being or one fundamental force behind the world. Christianity falls into that category. All the monotheistic religions, as well as pantheism, which we talked about last week, fall into this category of monism. Now, dualism, you might imagine from the word dual, means that there are two fundamental powers, and typically they're at odds with each other, one being painted as the good force and one being painted as the evil force. And this solves a critical problem that C.S. Lewis identifies. He says, what is the problem? A universe that contains much that is obviously bad and apparently meaningless, but containing creatures like ourselves who know that it is bad and meaningless. The other religious ideas that we've looked at, materialism and pantheism, fall short of explaining the situation that he described there. Materialism falls short of explaining why there it would be anything bad in the universe, because everything is meaningless. And pantheism can't explain why there is anything bad, because everything is God and everything is good. So the situation Lewis describes that we find ourselves in, those other two don't explain it. And he's going to say that dualism actually starts to explain it much better than those others. Dualism, he says, means the belief that there are two equal and independent powers at the back of everything, one of them good and the other bad, and that this universe is the battlefield in which they fight out an endless war. Two powers, or spirits, or gods, the good one and the bad one, are supposed to be quite independent. They both existed from all eternity. Neither of them made the other. Neither of them has any more right than the other to call itself God. Each, presumably, thinks that it is good and thinks that the other is bad. One of them likes hatred and cruelty. The other likes love and mercy. And each backs its own view. So I think the best way to flesh this out a little bit is through an example that we have in the real world. And that's one of the world's oldest religions called Zoroastrianism. It's a mouthful. And I think a lot of people haven't heard of this before. But Zoroastrianism was a religion that arose in kind of the Persian area of the world, what is now ancient Iraq, what is now Iraq, ancient Persia. And it believed in a dualistic worldview. There's a good God and there's a bad God. And they created the world, and they are endlessly at war with each other. The good God is naturally responsible for everything good in the world, like 
puppies and joy and new life and even the elements like fire and water. That's all in the good God category. The evil God is responsible for all evil and corruption, death, decay, things like that is what the evil God has brought into the picture. And the two are at war. Now, we as humans hold the important role of being able to choose who we can align with. The good God has given us free will to make good decisions or bad decisions, thus partnering with one of the gods. And in the end of our lives, we will be judged according to how many of those decisions we made. If we made majority good decisions, we go to the equivalent of heaven. If we made majority bad decisions, we go to the equivalent of hell. And this is a very broad summary of Zoroastrianism. You can definitely look up YouTube videos. I can post one in the comments that, uh, or post one in the show notes that's an excellent description of Zoroastrianism if you find it interesting. I did in reading about this. I just don't have time to cover it in the, to the degree that that video does. Lewis says that religions like this, dualism or Zoroastrianism as an example, aside from Christianity, he says, I personally think that next to Christianity, dualism is the manliest and most sensible creed on the market. And then he says, but it has a catch to it. Now, before we get to this catch, I want to comment real quick on the fact that he calls it the manliest. Now, most sensible, obviously, he's saying it's like the second best in his mind, but manliest. Uh, he previously had referred to overly simplistic Christianity and some of these other religions as being too simple and being boyish religions. And so now he's saying that this is a manly religion, as in a full-grown religion, one worthy of respect. And so that's kind of the context of that comment. But also, I think by the end of this video, you'll understand a, a way that Christianity can be seen as a masculine religion, as one that embodies some fight, embodies some traditionally masculine traits. So stick around and I'll show you what that means by the end of this. Back to the quote though. Lewis says that dualism is a sensible creed, but there's a catch. Now what's the catch? And what does this have to do with the Christian gospel message? Well, the catch with dualism is essentially a variety of the same catch we've had with this problem of morality in all of our other videos, if you've been around with us for a while. Lewis says, Now what do we mean when we call one of them the good power and the other the bad power? Either we are merely saying that we happen to prefer one to the other, like preferring beer to cider, or else we are saying that whatever the two powers think about it and whichever the humans at the moment happen to like, one of them is actually wrong, actually mistaken, in regarding itself as good. Now, if we mean merely that we happen to prefer the first, then we must give up talking about good and evil at all. You see how this rings of some of the same thing, themes that we've talked about when it comes to atheism or materialism and pantheism, this problem of morality. So it starts to explain, as Lewis has kind of said, this world in which there is bad and meaningless stuff. It's caused by this second god, the evil god. But what it doesn't really explain is what, where the grounds come to call one of the gods good and one of the gods evil. Presumably, both of them think that they're the good god, representing the good faction, and the other thinks it's evil. And so there are two options here that he highlights. You have either the option to say, the good god is just the one that majority of humans happen to be backing at the moment. They agree that this one is good, but that doesn't really explain any kind of objective morality. Humans could change their minds and suddenly become backing the, the, what we now call the evil god, the one who likes decay and destruction. If we all decided that that was good, would it be good? So there's a little bit of a problem there. That's option number one. Option number two to explain this is that... Essentially, if, if the good God is truly good, 
there must be some higher power determining which is good and which is evil. And that higher power would truly be the god we should worship. And these two lower powers would simply be demigods or inferior heavenly beings that may or may not have an impact on the world, but they aren't the most high god. And so those are the two problems, the two, the two ways of solving the problem of dualism. And this leads us to what our gospel presentations are missing in Christianity. Lewis says, But I freely admit that real Christianity goes much nearer to dualism than people think. One of the things that surprised me when I first read the New Testament seriously was that it talked so much about a dark power in the universe, a mighty evil spirit who is held to be the power beneath death and disease and sin. The difference is that Christianity thinks that this dark power was created by God and was good when he created it and went wrong. Christianity agrees with dualism that the universe is at war, but it does not think this war is between independent powers. It thinks it is a civil war, a rebellion, and we are living in a part of the universe occupied by the rebel. And this is where things start to get manly in like an action hero movie kind of sense. Lewis describes us as living in enemy-occupied territory as Christians. We live in this world in enemy-occupied territory in which the devil is in charge. And we have decided as Christians, if you're a Christian, to follow God, to rebel against the rebellion and side with God as like a loyalist to the God who created everything. And this kind of conflict is what we find ourselves in. And it explains the world, why there is evil in this world that was created good, and why we know that there is bad and we're compelled towards it. But as Christians, we know we should side with the good. It starts to kind of explain this embattled feeling that we have inside ourselves, this experience we have of sin and darkness and evil. And there's scripture to back this up. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Ephesians 6, 11 through 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So you can see in these that we're in a spiritual battle. There's almost like the dichotomy of good and evil independent gods in dualism, but the good God is the creator God. Thus, he can determine what's good and evil. And the lesser God, lowercase g God, is the devil who was originally created good, and has fallen and brought everything else with him. He's in rebellion. And so we have that war going on. And we struggle, like Paul says in Ephesians, against the powers of this dark world. And I don't want to overly spiritualize everything, but I think modern day Americans in the first world, basically, we, we don't tend to think about this sort of battle that's going on behind the scenes. One more verse that I absolutely love about this idea is in Matthew 16, 18. And it says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and specifically Peter, the leader of them. There's an obligatory picture from Lord of the Rings there, a little homage to our apology example from today. This is a picture of the black gate in Lord of the Rings. It's a great example of a gate, which is what Jesus is talking about here, the gates of hell. How do gates prevail in Jesus's words? Gates don't advance or attack the enemy. They defend. They might prevail by repelling attackers. So if you have a castle or the gates of Mordor, like in that picture, for those gates to prevail, it means that the attackers would be foiled. The attackers wouldn't get through the gate and advance to the section of land beyond, right? Or the castle beyond. So the gates of hell, they aren't attacking us. They're a defensive posture. They're in rebellion against the rest of the world, against the God of the universe and Christians. And we are called to take those gates. Christians are going to storm the castle of hell. 
And the best part is that God promises that we will win. So allow me to offer an alternate example of the gospel message, adding in this addition of a dark power in the world that we seem to forget about. We once had a relationship with God as humans, but the devil tricked us and threw all of humanity into rebellion against God. No matter what we tried to do, we remained enemies of God, unable to repair that relationship. So God sent his son Jesus, who lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose from the dead, defeating the devil and our personal sin and death. So now we're able to choose to follow the true God instead of the rebel of the devil and join in Jesus' rebellion. We can rejoin God in a restored relationship and work with him as he defeats the devil and restores all of reality to its former glory. Now that is the manly and sensible creed that Lewis believed in. If you enjoyed this episode, please like the video and subscribe. Also, please share my channel with anyone you think might enjoy it and leave a comment to let me know what you think. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, my name is Stephen Cram, and this has been My Apologies.